0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter number two. Ephesians chapter number two. This evening we are going to be looking at the doctrine of salvation. We look at our church covenant, and we're going to be examining this phrase, having been saved by God's grace. Having been saved by God's grace. More than membership, this is the series title that we've landed on. Pastor Dave helped us uh, figured that out we were kind of struggling with you know what do we what do we call this series other than our, our covenant uh it'd be grace great if we could have a little bit better messaging on our website or even to our church. So we we've, we've anchored in on more than membership in regards to this concept of covenant membership and our practice of it here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. And so we know that Christ absolutely is the head of this church. Amen? No elder, deacon, conglomerate of church members, none of us are the head of this church. It is Christ. It is biblical. He is the head of our church. And as such, I believe that Christ, as the head of our church, would have us to understand rightly how we should view our relationship with that church. Not just corporately our relationship with that church, but relationally and personally and intimately, how we relate to one another in the context of the local church. And so understanding church membership, or as we call it covenant membership, rightly in a biblical sense, I think has a lot of meaningful downstream implications for us individually in our lives. So I hope that as we work through this series over the coming weeks and months that uh, you don't fall into the trap of maybe checking out and saying, hey, I understand the covenant. I read the covenant. I said I believe the covenant. Back in the day, I think we even had you sign a piece of paper saying you acknowledge that covenant. We read the covenant often when we partake of the Lord's table and the Lord's Supper. It would be easy for us to look past this series. And all right, elders, we get it on to our next expositional series, right? There's opportunity here. There's opportunity for us as a church to yes, hit this kind of strategic TO time out and for us to consider how are we doing? How are we doing in our individual understanding of the covenant? How are we doing collectively and corporately in our expression of covenant membership? The time is now for us to understand and believe it and not just understand and believe it, but to live it. Pastor Andy anchored our hearts and our minds over the last couple of weeks on Christ's purpose and mission for his church He took us to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And at the pinnacle of Christ's ministry, just before he's about to ascend up into heaven and leave his disciples, he gives them a mission. And that mission was to do what? To go. To go and make disciples. The heartbeat of our church covenant is the heartbeat of discipleship. I pray that as we rightly understand Christ's purpose for the church that we would rightly understand our identity within that church and that we would engage appropriately and willingly and engage well for the glory of God for the good of his church we talk about church membership there's a lot of perspectives out there on church membership are there not? Maybe you've seen some of them, heard some of them. In the different context of your church engagements, maybe you have seen different perspectives on church membership. Some people join a church to find a sense of belonging or community. There's a strong relational tug That they feel whenever they engage in the local church, others join because they feel it's beneficial just in some way. You know, it's just a good thing to do, to go to church and to be a church member. They feel better about themselves. That's why they are engaged in the church, just to feel like a good person. There's a lot being spoken about in our news and in our day around mental health. Many people engage in religious activity as part of their, what they'll call, mental health routine. It's healthy for me to be engaged in spirituality. Have you heard some of these? Talking with your family, your friends, your neighbors, coworkers, Maybe you can't relate with some of them, but maybe it's just because that's what you grew up with. You've always been in the church. From t- earliest times you can remember, your mom and your dad were taking you to, what, church on a Sunday. I almost said in this little introductory paragraph, that's just what we're supposed to do on Sundays, that doesn't fit with us right now, with meeting on Saturdays, so We'll expand that to so that's just what you're supposed to do on the weekend, right? It's, it's just part of weekend life in America. We know that's becoming more and more of a minority, but is that why you're a part of a church? Because it's just what you do in your family. Dave's not here. I had a comment in here about Dave's coffee. Maybe you came for Dave's coffee. I know it's pretty soft. I'm thrilled about Dave getting some coffee back online here in a couple months. <laughs> That's going to be a true highlight for sure for our church. We don't join a church for any of those reasons. We know that. we would never write any of those things on our doctrinal statement of why join a church. But I think many times we settle for some of those felt need type of purposes For joining, engaging, partnering with, uniting, and gathering with a local body. Those are many of those things are very good. Many of them should be products of right engagement in the local body. But it's not why we join the church. It's not why we commit to a covenant with a group of called out believers. model that we see in scripture is that individuals were first what saved we see this in the earliest stages of the church in the book of Acts Christ left that great commission to his disciples and they did it they went out from that mountain fearful with doubt with uncertainty in their mind, and they obeyed Christ Jesus' command to go and make disciples. And as such, folks were saved. Amen? I'm thankful that that happened at that moment. That was certainly a a crossroads of what's going to happen right here at this moment, at this time. Jesus is leaving. His disciples are here. They're doubting, as Andy brought out, and what's going to happen? They chose to believe. They chose to have Faith. They chose to persevere in the midst of their doubt and uncertainty. They were faithful. Christ honored that, and he did what? He built his church. So thankful for that. So in the earliest stages of the church, disciples of Christ were faithful to the commands of Christ. They were faithfully planting and watering simple seeds of the gospel, with their neighbors, with their friends, in the marketplace. They were planting and watering, planting and watering. And as such, people were being saved. What happened then? They were then baptized. That great commission was to what? Go and make disciples of all nations and to then what? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Individuals were confronted With their sin before a holy God, they accepted the free gift of salvation. They were baptized. Just as Christ had told them. And ultimately, this group of believers publicly identifying with Christ and to one another, what did they do next? They were added to the church. So tying this back to our series, More Than Membership, We're examining over the next weeks and months Christ's purpose for his church. And it begins with what? It begins with salvation. So this evening, my task will be to define and defend the doctrine of salvation as we see it presented simply, clearly, and plainly in the living word of God. Friends, I want us to anchor on this reality that the single most important and unifying aspect of our relationship with one another in the context of covenant membership is our salvation. The single most important and unifying Aspect of our relationship with one another in the context of covenant membership. It is our salvation. There's very few of us here this evening that look exactly alike. I have interest. You have interests. You come from a certain background. I come from another. Some of us have more money. Some of us have less money. Some of us live in liberty. Some of us live in other parts of the city. Regardless of those differences, there is one singular unifying aspect that anchors our relationship to one another and it is our faith in Christ, our salvation. And so as a body of believers, a collective covenant membership, it's important that we understand the value and the role that our salvation plays And how we view one another, how we respond to one another, how we react to one another, and ultimately how we love one another. That the doctrine of salvation, that doctrine of salvation in theological terms, it's going to be called our soteriology. We are nothing. More without the doctrine of salvation, this group right here is nothing more than your your favorite frequent flyer program. That's all we are is a club. Hey, you know what? I'm a card carrying member of this church. Without us understanding the significance of our salvation in Christ, we're nothing more than a loyalty program. Them often, spend a little extra money, we'll give you some fringe benefits. Wh- whatever it is, that's all we are if we miss the importance and the role that our salvation in Christ plays in our life and how we relate to our another. Friends, I wonder, even as we are kicking off this series just three weeks in, have you already found yourself maybe? falling prey to a selfish or maybe some type of deluded purpose for joining a church. Maybe that was once fresh in your mind. You were excited and motivated and passionate about it over time and difficulty and seasons of loss and challenge even within our church. Maybe that reality has grown dim. Maybe your love for the church and his purpose and for one another has fallen on hard times. And if that's you, friends, I want to speak into that reality and say there is hope for us even there in that doubt, just as the disciples had wondering, hey, what's going on here at Liberty Hills? The changes, the challenges, the difficulties is God still working here. Friends, we're here to say this evening that he is that he is building his church in his way and in his time. And if we are faithful, just like those 11 disciples were at that moment, to simply go and obey what God can do in and through his church. The 11 ordinary men, By God's grace, they decided to simply believe that Jesus is who he says he is. There was purpose and hope. Despite the risk, despite the danger to their own lives and their families, they went out and they obeyed, turned the world upside down Christ. God can still do that. God can still do that even here. He desires and wants to do that right here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. So he's desiring to recalibrate our minds and give us this renewed vision for why we gather with this local assembly and it starts with us rewinding a bit all the way to the beginning of our walk with the Lord, this second phrase and having been saved by God's grace the big idea this evening is this covenant membership should reflect the beauty of the gospel and the miracle of salvation in and through our relationships at Liberty Hills Bible Church Covenant membership should reflect the beauty of the gospel and the miracle of salvation in and through our relationships here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. I'm just going to point out four simple aspects of salvation. As Pastor Andy or Pastor Dave, I can't remember which one, pointed out, this seems to be, hey, we get it, we got salvation, maybe move on to something else. But I want us to just pause for a few moments and to consider maybe some very... Elementary, simplistic concepts of salvation that I believe, if rightly understood and believed and lived out daily, will absolutely change how we relate to one another in the context of covenant membership. So, first, salvation is necessary because of sin. Salvation is necessary because of sin. Why is this message of salvation such a big deal? Why do we put it second just after the purpose of the Lord's church? It's because it is everything. It is the foundation. It begins and it also ends with salvation. We have to get salvation right as proclaimed in the word of God, if we don't have a true biblical view of salvation, like I said before, we're just nothing more than a rewards program, a social club. We don't want that, right? We want something more, something meaningful, something that will last to make a difference in our lives and the lives of others. So salvation is such a big deal because we have a big problem on our hands, namely that of our sin and rebellion against a holy God, the God of the Bible. Romans 5:12 reminds us, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. You'll remember that as we went through our series through Genesis, all the way back at the beginning. Adam and Eve, one command: don't eat of the tree, the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. What did they do? They ate it. They sinned, they rebelled against God's simple commands, and as a result, sin entered the world through one man. Adam, right? So it just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death because we've sinned, because we rebelled, against God's plan and his commands. God didn't leave us in that state. Sorry, thank you for that. He made a way. God sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish in death that results in a real place called hell, will not perish in hell, but will have what, kids? You remember this verse? eternal life. John 3, 16. God sent his son into the world to make a way. This is Jesus. Jesus himself declares his own mission in agreement with these realities. In Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, for the son of man came to do what? Seek and to save the lost. This is why Jesus has come to offer salvation. Salvation. to save sinners, to provide salvation. So friends, here's the reality check for all of us. Do you remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 17? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. We've sinned. God provided a way for us to be saved from our sin. But if our faith is not placed in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are still in our sins. Why? Because he is the only one, the spotless, blameless, perfect Lamb of God who could take on the sins of the world. So it is only through Jesus that salvation can be secured. It's the only way to escape these eternal consequences. It's the only way for us to be made right in the eyes of God for that relationship with the Holy God that was broken because of our sin. It's the only way for us to be reconciled back to that Holy God is through whom? Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. That's why Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So there is an exclusivity to our, to our message of salvation and it is focused on whom? Jesus Christ. All roads don't leave to God. There's one and it is Jesus Christ, amen? The second aspect of salvation that we want to call out this evening is salvation is secured only by grace alone. Really four of the five solas of the Reformation focused in on Salvation in one way or another, right? We have scriptures alone, we have faith alone, we have grace alone, in Christ alone. And then the final one there is to the glory of God alone. Really, four of those five are completely focused on reaffirming a biblical view of what? Salvation. That's a big deal, right? It was a big deal then. There was there was a focus on clarifying the specifics of salvation. Why was that important? Because there was a clear deviation in church history away from the gospel of the scriptures. So it's important for us to note that we must keep a biblical view of salvation even in our day and for generations to come. We constantly must be in this process of going back to the inspired living word of God and saying, what is the gospel? What is salvation? And if we take away from anything that's presented in the inspired word of God pertaining to salvation, then we have failed. If we add anything to what God says salvation is, we have failed. And so let us be faithful to understand rightly this doctrine of soteriology, salvation, simply as it's proclaimed in the word of God. So it's necessary for us as a church to constantly keep our pulse on our understanding of a right and biblical view of salvation for us individually, for our families, and for our church. Another key tenet of our soteriology is that the complete work of salvation is 100% by his grace. There's there's simply no other way for us to view salvation but through the lens of grace. From beginning to end, it's God's good pleasure to save a sinful remnant for his glory. We read Ephesians chapter number two in our scripture reading. Take a look at just verse number eight for a moment. We'll read the extended passage a bit more later in the message. But verse number eight, this simple, focused attention on the grace of God. Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse number eight, for by grace you have been saved. If you've been in church for any length of time at all, you have probably heard, memorized this verse hundreds of times. The problem with repetition is sometimes the miracle and reality and the truthfulness of these statements can sometimes be slightly diluted in our minds. The awe and the wonder, the magnificence of this reality that for by grace you have been saved should be life changing, life altering for us. Not just at that point of salvation, but every single day to come. I wonder, friends, do you believe that your salvation is secured only by grace alone? Does the awe and wonder of that still put a grin on your face? Does it still give you a, a, a bit of a, a shot in the arm when you think about your unworthiness, your sin, your rebellion before Holy God and the fact that He sought you out? Offer grace and mercy. that has been grace. By grace you have been saved. Romans 6, the second half of that verse "For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, is eternal life. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, it is grace alone. It is a gift. We don't deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it, but we are forever changed because of it. This is the reality of God's grace in our life. So Jesus, in the very beginning stages of his ministry, is noted in Mark chapter number one, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee doing what? Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus heralding himself as the Messiah. The time has come. Prophecy has now been fulfilled. The precursor Is behind, I'm here. Repent and believe the gospel. It is God's grace that allows us to respond in any way to this gospel message. It is God's grace that allows us to rightly view our sin as an offense before a holy God. a popular understanding of sin or your choice or your rights or your freedoms, but rather all of those things, by God's grace, he allows us to view them not as freedoms and liberties, but as offenses. I can't do that. I can't do that in and of myself. It is only by God's grace. You look at the world around us and what are they heralding? Liberties, freedoms, rights. Not sin before a holy God. The work of salvation is by grace. It is God's grace that allows us to repent of that sin and place our belief and our faith In the finished work of Jesus Christ, to turn from our liberties, to turn from our rights, to turn from our way, and to turn to a loving Savior. This is repentance, a change of mind, a change of heart that results in a change of action. This is grace enabled. Ephesians 2 speaks to our state without and before Christ as being dead in our trespasses and sins. Verse number 1. Sons of disobedience, Paul goes on to say, describes us as what children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. There was nothing special about me before Christ and without Christ. Like the rest of mankind. It's only grace that can say in verse 4, but God, divine intervention into my eternal problem, sin, an offense before a holy God. With imminent eternal consequences hanging in the balance, God offers grace but God, verse number four, being rich in mercy. This is our God because of the great love with which he loved us. Verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. Grace can do that work for by grace you have been Saved. third aspect of salvation that we want to focus in on this evening is this salvation is secured only through faith alone. Sola fide. We talked much about faith through our series in James, did we not? We defined faith. We acknowledged that there could be a dead faith, a demonic faith. There was all kinds of different aspects of faith in the book of James. But salvation... In the scriptures is secured only through faith alone. So, friends, a side note on any of our acknowledgements or looking back to church history and the reformers, the Reformation in regards to salvation. We will uphold that tradition only as it aligns with and accords with scripture. Certainly, we're thankful. The reformers got this right. Church history was forever changed because of God's grace working in and through these men to recalibrate the church back to sola scriptura. To look at scripture, say, God, what are we to believe? Where have we gotten off? How can we get back to truth? we read Ephesians 2 for by grace you have been saved through what it is faith verse number 8 right do you see it there for by grace you have been saved through faith this is important that we understand the role of faith how it's deployed in our life where faith is generated from Second Timothy 3:15. Turn over there with me 2 Timothy 3:15. So a few pages over 2 Timothy 3:15. look at verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse number 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work which're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's talk about that faith in Christ Jesus. This faith in the person and work of Jesus, if you go back to Ephesians chapter number two, what did it start with? Verse number eight, it started with grace. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. It is God's grace that allows us to respond to God in faith. Apart from myself, my wisdom, my understanding, I will never choose Christ. This expression This declaration of faith in Christ, it cannot flow from my lips apart from the work of God's grace in my life. This is the work of ultimately God taking a dead man and making him alive. Earlier in Ephesians chapter number two, you remember Matthew chapter number 16. This is the exchange that Christ has with his disciples. Verse number 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Remember Peter's answer? Verse number 16, "With Christ, the son of the living God. Verse number 17, and Jesus answered in response to this declaration, of faith in who Christ was. Jesus says this, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. But my Father who is in heaven, it is a God that initiates this work of salvation. And this brings us to our fourth and final aspect. Of salvation, And it says, salvation is secured only in Christ alone. Salvation is secured in Christ alone. I hope that as we're working through this, that we're coming to one conclusion, that salvation cannot be secured apart from the gospel of the Bible. us sidestepping, avoiding, getting rid of eternal consequences for our sin before a holy God—that that cannot be resolved or reconciled apart from the gospel of the Bible. Turn over to First Corinthians chapter number fifteen. First Corinthians chapter number fifteen. I'm using a new Bible this evening, and I'm struggling. You guys ever had a new Bible? And you just know where everything's at and the pages just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling up here with, with my Bible management. But uh, thanks for working with me, guys, here. First Corinthians chapter number 15. I just want to start reading in verse number one. This is Paul, right, writing his first letter to the church. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word preached to you, unless you believed in vain. It goes on in verse 3: For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, Paul says, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But... By the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen? And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they. So we preach, and so you believed. Salvation is secured only in Christ alone. So what is the gospel? The gospel is simply, as we know that word, to be defined as good news. It's certainly good news because apart from Christ, we only have bad news for our lives gospel is clearly defined in verse number 4 of 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures friends i just want to park there for a moment believing the truth of the word of god believing the gospel as presented in the word of god believing the finished work of jesus christ and the gospel, as presented in 1 Corinthians 15, 4, is absolutely a confrontational message into this world we live in. Believing the gospel is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to those that are being saved, it is the power of God. God's word tells us. Amen. So it is the gospel and this gospel alone that is able to save. We looked at 2 Timothy 3.15 just a few moments ago and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able, I love that, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It is only the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that is able to save. But friends, here's the reality of the world that we live in. The devil is the author of many false gospels. John 10.10, we know the devil's MO in this world is what? To steal, kill, and destroy. To distort, pervert, confuse. We see the gospel of self, the gospel of good works, the gospel of sexual expression, We see the gospel of prosperity, the gospel of relativism, the gospel of intellectualism, the gospel of universalism. The list goes on and on and on again where the gospel is simply a tag on to a worldview that I choose to believe. Christianize secular thought by adding Jesus in the name. Oh, I believe in God. Yeah, yeah. There's certainly uh, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Christmas. Yeah, I got. It. <laughs> False gospels all around us. We live in a day where postmodern thought rules. Our unity, our gathering together, our partnership in the gospel, our engagement in each other's lives, it all hinges on the truthfulness of the gospel and its work in our lives. So, when we say that the gospel, salvation cannot be secured apart from the gospel of the Bible, and then we say salvation is secured in Christ alone, there's no add ons, that's a period. Nothing else comes after that. It is in the finished work of Jesus Christ that we have salvation. That is the gospel, it is finished we saying this evening, it is finished. When he gave his life on that cross and he shed his blood, when he completed that substitutionary atonement, he took the death that I deserved and he paid for my sin, past, present, and future. There was nothing else that needed to be done. Christ completed it completely and full. It's the devil seeking to put that truth and that reality into question. The truthfulness of the gospel is paramount to us rightly relating to one another. It is our salvation in Christ that unites our hearts. It is our state of being in Christ that reaches across all backgrounds, race, ethnicity, rich, poor, No matter what your experience is and no matter what my experience is, being in Christ and believing the same gospel and and expressing the same faith by God's grace in that gospel, it unites us together in a way that no other shared experience could in this world. Young, old. Salvation in Christ unites us all. It is the beginning point of salvation that is the catalyst that draws us to each other even when it feels uncomfortable. Even when I wish the gathering that the Lord had called me to looked a bit different. Even when I may be the only one that looks like me in our gathering it is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that is the catalyst that draws us out of ourselves and reaches out to others. Why? Because it is salvation in Christ, that, as we described before, it is the unique identifier of us all. Our journey, our journey, excuse me, our story, our baggage, it might look a bit different for us all, but one thing remains constant in all of our stories. It's that Jesus met us right where we were at some point in our life. We were confronted with the same question that he asked the disciples back in Matthew 16. Jesus said, I know what everybody else is saying about me. But Eric, who do you say that I am? Some say he's just a good prophet. Some say he's this or that. Some say he's just a good teacher. Eric, who do you say that? If you claim to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and personal Savior, all of us individually have been confronted with that same question. In one way or another, we have answered just as Peter did. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the reality of that response is that it wasn't flesh or blood that revealed that, but it was the God of heaven who allowed us by his grace to proclaim that truth and express that faith in the personal work of Jesus. The message of salvation is so clear. The means to receive this salvation is equally clear. We looked briefly at Romans 10 during our worship service. What does it tell us? That one must simply confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him, meaning Jesus, from the dead. What is Paul essentially saying, similar to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, confess and believe the gospel. And if we do that, What's what's the result? We will be saved. Friends, young and old, salvation isn't a band-aid for your life or a quick fix for your troubles. It's not something you do because your mom, dad, brother, sister did it. The miracle of salvation is a work that only God can initiate. And it's a work that only God can complete. So this evening, the good news for us is that he is still drawing individuals to himself, even in our day with this same timeless message that he heralded as he came into his earthly ministry. Repent and believe the gospel. So friends, questions for our consideration as we think back on our own story in salvation? Maybe you never have seen Christ in this way questions that i have for you are do you see your sin for what it is an offense before a holy god do you recognize that because of your sin there are eternal eternal consequences excuse me at stake do you recognize that only jesus is the one that can and has already paid for those sins by giving his life and shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary. And so the message this evening is that salvation is secured by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I wonder if this refresher in the gospel has softened your hearts this evening, reflecting on who Christ is and what he has provided for us in salvation, what should it do? It should absolutely draw us to one another. It should cause us to go boldly out into a world and make disciples of all nations. So I leave us this evening with a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter number five. Turn with me there. No commentary will be added. We're going to read this final passage of scripture. We're going to close in a song. We'll give you some time to uh, get a drink, visit the restroom. We'll come back for an A&I time as we consider a few questions of application. 2 Corinthians chapter number five, we're going to start reading in verse number 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for no one, excuse me, for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. This is what? Justification. This is the result of salvation in Christ and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the doctrine of salvation. We thank you for the truth of the word of God. We thank you for not leaving us in our state of rebellion and sin, but providing a way, reconciling us back to yourself through your own son. What an incredible miracle that is. I pray that this truth and reality of salvation, the comfort that we've been given, the reconciliation that we've been given, that it will move us in a way that we have not seen before in our context of our church, that your spirit would stir us up towards love and good works. Father, we pray that as we go through this series that the truth of God's word would change us, that as we so look forward with anticipation entering into this new stage of of a physical context to minister and serve right there in the city of Liberty, Missouri, that we would be prepared, that we would be ready, that we would be humble, and that your grace would just radically move through our church and that we could be shining so bright, just like that city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Father, we desire you to do something great in our midst and we pray that you would do it. You'd be faithful to your promises to build your church and that we as covenant members, that we would be faithful to go and make disciples. We pray these things in your name.